All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Footwork, a podcast for those who dream big, never settle, and make their own path. I'm Sean. And I'm Dylan. Together with guests, we share stories and tips every Monday to educate, inspire, and create a community built of soccer players and dream chasers. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. Welcome to Footwork. Matt Mahoney plays right back for Colorado Springs Switchbacks FC of the USL Championship, the second tier in U.S. soccer. Being cut from Red Bulls Academy and going to a smaller Division I school didn't help his aspirations of going pro, but they certainly didn't hold him back. This is the hardest worker in the room with Matt Mahoney. All right, we're back, and it's, it's an exciting time. We're, we're welcoming, on, welcoming on a guest for the first time in a few months here, and uh, it's none, uh, none other than Hudson Valley's finest. Matt Mahoney, one of my training partners in the offseason. Matt, thanks for coming on. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. So um, right away, just a nice icebreaker. We're going to do start, bench, sell. All right? So you got to start one. You got to bench one. You got to sell one. We have, since you've been playing majority right back from what I've seen this year, we're going to go Reese James, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker. You made the impossible decision. All right. (laughs) It's the the luxury of England. One of the three again, you got to – Sell Reece one. James. Oh. Yeah, start one, bench one, sell one. I think, ooh. I mean, this is, I think sell, sell Kyle Walker. Okay. Bench Trent and start Reese James. Wow. It's yeah. funny. I think, they I think every person, I think a lot of people would have different answers too. That's what's so great about those three, I think. All the preference. I mean, I think Trent as a right back, obviously a little li- liability defensively. But I mean, on the ball, he's probably the the best in terms of whipping it in going forward. So depending mm-hmm. on the game plan, Reese James all around it, I think kind of similar to Kyle Walker, pacey, fit, athletic, but I think a little more less likely to make a mistake. Kyle Walker's been prone to uh, either have a hot <laughs> head or kind of make a mistake in his time. But I mean, yeah, that's yeah. probably yeah. right now probably the toughest decision for an English manager, honestly. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right, so make your own path. That's kind of like our motto here at Footwork. Essentially, you know. You follow your dreams. You're not held to the normal route if it doesn't fulfill you. You know, you do you. So what does making your own path mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's doing, you know, specifically for soccer and football for myself. It's been kind of just trying to find the, the joy in it and doing what you have to do to get to where you want to be. Uh, I mean, as you know, you, you've been doing this podcast for a bit. And, and the longer we play, the more people we know and realize how small the soccer world is. Everyone's kind of got a different path to making it professionally. So for me, it was the academy level, you know, which is being introduced as we were kids uh, to college, uh, undrafted, just fortunate to be able to go to a tryout and, you know, perform well and sign from there. And then had, I was fortunate to be with my coach now, still that signed me originally. So making your own path is literally about kind of doing what you have to do and grinding to get to where you want to be. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all never where we want to be. I'm sure we'd be wanting to be in the prem or, or for us, even MLS or a higher level. Um but sometimes it is what it is. So it's finding the joy in the, in the little things and just being happy that we're still able to play and do what we love. Love that. Brilliant answer. Now, starting with the now, how's your time going in Colorado? Uh, currently second on the table with 16 games left. Yeah, I mean, I, this year, definitely really enjoying it. Uh, last year was new coach, kind of new guys coming in, trying to gel together. This year, we got a couple more guys, but core guys coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoying it. I mean, we're in a little bit of a rough patch now, uh, hitting the middle of the season. We had a last week or two weeks ago about four games in 10 days or 11 days so maybe we didn't do too well in them but in terms of that I mean I mean I'm enjoying it Colorado Springs is kind of like a small little uh city you can't even really call it a city uh in my opinion 
but it's, it's nice, kind of a low-key area, uh, enjoying the soccer, which is the most important, and happy to be in second place. You know, could hopefully get to first place by the end of the season, but second is not too bad. So you kind of talk – go ahead, Sean. Yeah, how was that building a new team? You said uh, last season it was kind of a lot of new players coming together. It's always difficult to try and get everyone on the same page tactically, physically, how you want to play, um, kind of playing as a team instead of individuals. Yeah, it's very difficult, uh, and I think we saw that a lot with our results last year. Last year, we we did a lot better than the year before that the team was here, um, but I think a lot of it was lack of cohesion and things like that. So it's always tough because you got to have a good combination of talented players but character guys, um, and I think I really credit our coaching staff here for doing that in the short period of time that they've had this team because, you know, from my experience, this team before I came out here, when I was playing for SAC and the Steel before that, uh, they were always like the worst team in the league. And they're like, oh, you don't want to go to Colorado Springs because that's basically like your last chance to play. And so I think the culture is kind of changing here. And honestly, I've been fortunate to be a part of it because now we're a team that people want to come to. And I get asked all the time about what we're like, what the staff's like and things like that. So it's been honestly a blessing for me. Mm. So when you're jumping to a new team, you're kind of the new guy, but you, I'm sure you want to assert your personality and your own leadership qualities. How do you kind of find that balance of coming in and finding your spot and your role in a team? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it takes time. Uh, I think depending on how old you are, where you've played, uh, what kind of what your history is, kind of makes a difference in terms of how you come in. But at the end of the day, it's, it's I think, standards as well. Mm-hmm. So we come in, uh, fortunately, like I said, I knew the coaching staff, so they knew me, knew what I could do. And I actually knew a couple of the other guys that they were bringing as well that I had played with prior. Um, so as much as we were st- like trying to gel together, we still kind of knew each other. But I still think it, it's tough to come in and kind of see who the leader is going to be, who, you know, quote unquote, the followers are going to be and, and those types of players. Um, so it's just kind of a work in process. And even now to this day, I think we're still kind of working on it and adding new pieces that kind of fill in what we're missing. And do you see yourself or are you a, a kind of a, one of the leaders in the team? I like I like to think so. Getting a little older now, turning 27 this year, uh, been with the staff for a while. Uh, I think I'm kind of somebody to lean on a little bit um, in terms of other players. I'm not necessarily one of the oldest, I and mean, we still have a couple older guys this year. Mm-hmm. But I'd, I'd say I'm probably a character guy, somebody that you know works hard, tries to lead by example, and things like that for the team. And and what leadership kind of works for you? What do you respond well to? Whether it's coaches or other captains, like what do you find and what do you? see is like a leader like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna I can follow this guy yeah that's a good question because I think everyone defines and sees leadership in different ways and so for me it's just somebody that I care more about kind of like leading by example and seeing how somebody acts and what they do because I think actions speak louder than words so you could be mm-hmm. a, a big character that just yells a lot and so forth but then off the field you're drinking not taking care of yourself and things like that so it's hard to follow somebody that's like that so I think it's somebody that kind of just exemplifies and embodies being a leader can have tough conversations um doesn't get into the like small things that sometimes seem to get into like clicks like you know trash talking and things like that so for me it's just somebody that you know kind of embraces the role can take it on it can talk to everybody in the team as well as the coaching staff and then can also show it on the field yeah I completely agree because I think so many times you see like the oldest guys or the guys who have been around the club are the ones that usually are handed the captain's armband but it is tough to follow those guys who like aren't really showing up, you know, early. They're not one of the last ones to leave. You know, they're not leading by example off the pitch as well as they can. And then, you know, you're supposed to follow these guys on the pitch. It's like, yeah, yeah, not really. It's kind of, oh. it makes it tougher. 
and it makes it tough sometimes because, like you said, sometimes the best player, the older guy, is, is giving the captain's armband just out of, you know, being the best or the oldest when necessary. Mm-hmm. They're not the leader. So then it, it's hard for the other players that may be better leaders to speak up and speak against that person if they're acting inappropriately or not doing the best they can for the team, you know? Mm-hmm. And what do you do to develop relationships with that said player or in a situation where you feel that you have something to bring to the table, um, you know, but not step on people's toes? Yeah, I think it's I think it's the environment we create in the locker room. Uh, interestingly enough, we kind of had a conversation today because we have been going through a good spell. So I think it's just, you know, bringing everybody together, making sure we're on the same page and, and tackling things like that. Because, you know, soccer players can be pretty sensitive guys sometimes. Uh, you know, when they're being told what to do. Uh, so it's kind of just like yeah. realizing, you know, we're all trying to achieve the same goal um, that nobody's here trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but sometimes, you know, you got to have tough conversations to get them across. So I think it's mutual respect for a lot of players and mm-hmm. being able to have the tough conversations. And then you do have to speak differently to different people. Some people respond differently to some leadership style and some respond better to others. So I think it's kind of learning your players and being able to, adapt and um you know kind of speak to everyone how do you feel about like culture within teams because i think i mean especially with something like feedback whether it is to coaches or to upper management and stuff like that and having the ability to talk up to people and say okay no this isn't working like do you find that that is something that's kind of achievable um in in the teams that you've played in and how would you do you think you should go about it yeah, I, th- I think it is achievable. I think especially mm. kind of at the lower levels because we're not really dealing with the superstars that are making millions of dollars. So you're not going to go to a, a Messi or Ronaldo, for example, in our situation and have to try to speak up to them when really, what are you going to say to them? Mm-hmm. So I think it's achievable, but I think it has a lot to do with the coaches and then who they bring in as this, the quote-unquote leaders. Because if they create a style where they let the better players, the leaders, the older guys get away with stuff, then that makes it harder for the younger guys to then um, – kind of become what the coaches expect of them and then be yeah. able to speak up to those guys. Cause if the coaches favor these leaders, these leaders, but they're not great leaders, then how are you going to get the best out of the guys that are younger? Because they can't then either be themselves or react, or if they see something that an older player needs to do or change, they can't really speak to them and, and just be honest, which I think is a huge thing in, in sports in general is being able to, to communicate, right. We, we mm-hmm. talk about, on the field and if you can't do that then I think the culture is kind of lost mm-hmm. and how do you go about it because you said that you've been I mean you you've been in the league for quite a bit now you're one of the older guys um, so new guys young guys that come in and you can kind of see why they're struggling or see what yeah. they're focusing on it could be wrong how do you approach that are you a guy who might you know say something to him whether it's just something quick like hey just calm down it's all right like how do you yeah. approach that I mean, sometimes it's tough. So I, I'll go, I'll use this year, for example, like in the beginning, uh, we came in and we're all fresh and people, the younger kids told me that then they thought I was somebody different than I am now because I came in they're like, oh, you're like, you were kind of like an asshole then because like, I think at first you have to set the tone for the guys okay. so that they know what like the standard is and things like that. And then once you get to know somebody, you see what they really are. You realize that they were just trying to um, like help you and be involved in like Push the it, yeah. So now that like you, you start there and then you, you let them see your true side and mm-hmm. you're you kind of a goofy guy. I like to joke around. You can talk to them like any other players. Um, I like to kind of go about it like that in terms of, cause then you, you can build relationships with anybody. You can talk to the best players, the young guys, the old guys and things like that. And that in the end of the day, I think it all comes down to respect, you know, respect on the field, respect off the field. I think that's a huge part. 
footwork.club is now live, the official footwork website where you can find all the footwork content, including some new features. That's right. Along with our podcasts and guests, you can find exclusive written articles, including blogs about our own stories, free products that can help with chasing the dream, as well as our first official merch. All that and more to join the club. We're going to come all the way back towards the beginning. So we have a lot of listeners here in Germany. We've had some guests on as well who've um, started their careers in professional academies. So I think it's a great kind of thing to show uh, maybe some similarities, some differences, because you grew up, you played some some years in the Red Bulls Academy. So what was that process like for you between training, games, you know, schedule, making you better, both on the field, mentally preparing for it? What was your experience like? I firmly believe if I didn't play for the Red Bull Academy growing up, uh, I wouldn't be where I am now. I mean, it completely changed my life. Uh, you know, from your own experience up in the Hudson Valley, like there's, there's no really academy system and it's just local clubs. There's not really mm-hmm. a good hole to get you to the next level. Mm-hmm. So we ended up, I ended up traveling to Jersey for three years and then I got cut actually the, my 16th year and ended up playing for Gachi, which was still an academy team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I obviously don't know much about the German system, but for me, I think at the time it was the place to, to be for, you know, someone that's trying to make it to the next level because ODP was kind of, you know, dwindling away and yeah. local clubs weren't good enough. But in terms of professionalism, I remember some of the experiences I had going there and it made me realize like, Oh, like things that really matter, like taking care of yourself off the field, um, how you show up and train every day, like the mentality you have. And it really teaches you to be kind of like a young professional. And I think that's even more accelerated today because a lot of clubs, like the the union, for example, I saw when I played with the Steel that they have their YSC Academy and their like little residency program where people can actually live there. And it's like they school is basically non-existent, but they basically breathe and live soccer. So it's kind of developing pretty. I, I'm kind of jealous, actually. Yeah, uh, me too. That. That's why we talk about make your own path. Like every path is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I firmly believe without the academy system and kind of the coaches at the Red Bull uh, growing up, I wouldn't be where I am now. What was the schedule like that? Yeah, the schedule, uh, we trained, I believe, like three times a week, three or four times a week, and then we had our games on the weekends. So, it, I mean, it was tough, I'm not going to lie. I would obviously go to school during the day. We would train at 8 and eight o'clock at night, get done usually around 10, and I was getting home around midnight, and then you start over over the next day. Um, but it was grueling, but I honestly loved it. Like back, I mean, I still live in breeze soccer, but back then it was like a dream come true. I mean, we had a really good group of 95s, like, guys that a bunch of guys that are still current professionals now um and so i i mean like i said i, I wouldn't have been where i am with, without the red bull academy and i think the professionalism at the time they they were and still are they're getting their kind of peak back but like mm-hmm. that just marsh area in the air before when Thierry Henry was coming in like i remember looking up at like juan pablo on back in the day when he was the red bull striker and thinking like this is where i want to be because we had we got to have experiences of being around those guys and I think it, it makes a world of a difference. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned you um, you did get cut. So, I mean, a setback at a very pretty early age could be yeah. quite, yeah, it could be quite, you know, destructive on a young mind. But how did you, how did you face that? Was it difficult for you? Yeah, I, I owe my parents uh, a big thanks for this because they, they basically told me it wasn't the end of the world because it was, I played three years at Red Bulls. And so it was the year where I was going to jump to the 16s um academy team and I was pretty small back then so now I'm like 5'11 just average height but growing up I was pretty small and scrawny and so I got cut from the team I was I wasn't as like athletic enough not big enough I was kind of getting bullied on the field 
Um, and so in terms of a setback, that had never happened to me before. Like I was always, you know, you're for your local club team growing up, you're the best kid. And then you go to Red Bulls and, and at a young age, you're still one of the best players and people know you for that. And then you get cut and it's kind of like, Oh, like this is the first time it's ever happened to me. So how do I, how do I rebound and react? And it was tough. I mean, I remember to this day, I was at a West Virginia soccer camp um, getting scouted for college or whatever this summer of my going into my junior year. And I remember my dad found out, but he didn't tell me until the camp was over. And I remember he told me on the car ride home and I was like devastated. I was like, didn't know how I was going to go on, like what my future soccer was going to look like. And my dad just reminded me it wasn't the end of the world. Like we had a lot more soccer to go. And he told me like a good piece of advice was that a lot of the guys that end up that are the best players when they're younger end up not being the best players as they're older. So it's kind of you continue to work and use this as motivation, then you can still achieve your goals. Yeah, it's just another good path. Advice. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And then you, uh, you decided <clears throat> to take the college route. You went to Temple University. Um, which is not, I mean, it's a good program, but not the, the best program in the country. Um, did this ever affect your view of wanting to go pro? It didn't affect my view, but it definitely stressed out. It was stressed me out a lot on whether I was going to make it or not. Because, be, I mean, we were always a good team. We competed in our conference, but never made the NCAA tournament in my four years. Never, we lost every playoff game. You know, we were nationally ranked a couple times, but that was when we were beating teams that were way worse than us. Um, so, I didn't really think of it until my senior year because I thought I would have more opportunities, but my coach really didn't have any connections. Um, There was one player, like the first player that ever got drafted from Temple was in my class. Um, And he ended up, I don't think he's, he's he's from Spain, so he might be playing in the lower divisions. But coming from a school where, you know, it's not a national, you know, soccer, it's not nationally highlighted for soccer, uh, Mm -hmm. it's definitely tough. And I was fortunate that I was able to use some connections to get a tryout and then perform well enough to make it because otherwise I probably wouldn't be playing right now. Do you find, do you find that as a fault as the U S system kind of like, I feel like a lot of guys kind of slip through the cracks because I, I guess, you know, it is tough to scout that many college teams and that many players, but it does seem like if you didn't go to a top 20 university, if you weren't in the tournament, you know, yep. you could be, you could ball out individually and have everything right to be a pro. But at the end, it depends on who, you know, no, 100%. And I honestly, I think the college game is uh, not being looked at as much for especially getting to the MLS. I mean, if you look at guys now that end up getting drafted, a lot of them end up in the USL. And yeah. when maybe five, 10 years ago, a lot of them, a lot more of them were playing in the in the MLS. So I think people are viewing college soccer less and less each year in terms of creating, you know, products that can make it to like the next level. When don't get me wrong, there are definitely players that can that are playing in college right now that should, you know, be in the MLS and maybe even higher, but rarely do you see like a Jack Harrison where he's playing in college and now he's playing for leagues, you know? Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. that's when people are viewing college soccer as a good way to get to pros because they want, now I talked about the academy system and like the YSC and these residency programs. A lot of guys are teams are trying to build like their own uh, youth programs and then sign homegrown players. And then they get to sell them for more. Cause at the end of the day, it's a business. Yeah. So if they can do that and make, and, not waste four years of guys going to college. Cause I mean, we know college you play in the fall and you're exhausted at the end of the season. Then you take your winter break. And in the spring, you can only touch the ball, what, two, three times a week. I don't even remember what the hours are. And you're doing more weight training than you are playing soccer. Think if we were to go back and, you know, be able to play soccer in games in that time, instead of, you know, lifting, yeah. you know, we'd probably be a lot better. I think they're changing it, aren't they? I heard that that's actually finally going through. Oh, did, did it actually about that? I think That'll so. Be- yeah. Maybe, I, maybe it's still on the table, but I'm, I'm hearing that it's like about to go through or something like that. 
Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Yeah, because it's it's you're so right because the the whole season is so cramped into a few months playing yeah. two games a week. I mean, us in D3, to think about it now, we played Friday and Saturday games. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, that's ridiculous. That's, I, do they still do that? D3? I, I don't know. They shouldn't. They I mean, should not. We were, we were mostly Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday. And I remember thinking how, like, how exhausted I was. So yeah. that I couldn't imagine playing a game Friday, Saturday. <laughs> and, they're, and they're mostly like on turf, especially now, too. Yeah. So just what is it like in the USL? How many are grass and how many are turf? I don't actually say it's probably close to, to 50, 50, maybe 60, 40 in grass. Yeah. And some of the grass fields are baseball fields still. Now I know they're supposed to be getting rid of the baseball fields. They were talking about that before COVID hit, but then once COVID hit, I think they kind of delayed that because of obviously the financial burden a lot of the teams were under mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, for example, we played in El Paso a couple of days ago on the weekend and yeah, it's a nice grass field, but it's still like, it's still a baseball field. So you're, you're playing in a patch of area that, they, and some of the baseball fields are really bad and dangerous where they have the sand coming up underneath and like nails coming out of the grass and things like that. So Jesus really, depressing. Christ. like to be fair, it's much better than from when I started in 2017. And okay. I think we're going to get better and better. So hopefully it just continues in that trajectory. Do you feel like the league has come a long way since you've been in it? Oh yeah, definitely. I think it has in terms of notoriety, mm-hmm. uh, players uh, and, and things like that. And, and uh, money as well. I mean, we just had our first, uh, CBA that either got ratified end of last season, I think it was, for starting for this season. So they're trying to better the environment. So, I mean, you know probably a little bit about the USL in terms of pay, but some guys, I mean, I know my first contract was was terrible. And so they're trying to make it livable wages for guys that on mm-hmm. teams, two teams or other clubs that aren't paying their guys enough. So it's heading in the right direction, but it just takes time. Can you speak a little bit more on the, the CVA and what it, that exactly is? Yeah, so the CBA, collective bargaining CBA. agreement. I think it's oh, yes, of, okay, uh, yeah. You look at some recent ones, kind of like uh, what the MLB was going through this past year. I mean, they're arguing about, you know, what their players want versus what the owners and the league wants all the time. So for us, it was kind of like that because back in 2020, there were a lot of issues when COVID hit about whether teams were going to be forced to, to pay their players or whether they were going to and things like, uh, like that. So the CBA started coming on the scene to try to protect players so that, they couldn't get taken advantage by the club and that they could get paid um, and things along those lines. So they're just trying to get a foothold so that mm-hmm. the owners can't take full advantage of the players. And so the players have some leverage if they ever need it. Is there a league minimum right now? Or is that, is that not a thing? Uh, I'm not fully versed on all of the CBA stuff, but uh-huh. we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if it starts this year or next year, but there is a meet uh, a minimum. But it's tricky with how they are in the contracts because they can include housing, like a housing allowance, because obviously they okay. house it. Yeah. So you can get a certain amount of money for it, but it has to be at least fifty percent of your salary. I think has to has to be you know for your paycheck for playing. But if you you know if you don't have a good agent or you don't know what you're doing, you can kind of get screwed and have fifty percent you know coming from your housing allowance. So oh, wow, yeah. Very tricky, and the league obviously tries to screw you in certain ways sometimes. Yep. So it's very important to kind of pay attention to those minor details. And you mentioned it before that you were able to get a trial or a trial in the USL and uh, you did well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, how did this tryout come about or trial and uh, how was your approach to this? Yeah, so back in 2016, so I was a kinesiology major at Temple. Uh, I had to do an internship to be able to graduate. So I was able to get an internship with the union at the time. So I was in their, their exercise science department um, with their head exercise scientist. So I, I was working with the players day in and day out. And since Bethlehem Steel 
uh, I think they started in 2016 was their first year. And that was the year that I did it. So I got to see the players kind of see the pro environment and the coaches there knew that uh, I wanted to play professionally eventually, or when I was, when I graduated. So there was a coach called BJ Callahan. I think you pronounce his last name. He was a Villanova assistant coach back when I was being recruited before college. And so he happened to be there when I was interning. So I reached out to him, you know, when I was trying to get a tryout or get something at the end of my senior season. And he got me a tryout with the steel. And that was with my head coach that I currently have now. He invited me to preseason. I went in for two weeks and did well enough uh, to sign me. But I just kind of went in with the mentality of this is like your one shot. Because for me, I still hadn't graduated yet. So I had to finish my spring semester. So I was very fortunate that I signed for the team in Philly because I was able to finish my, I had, I was taking like three online classes, but I had two more in person I had to go to. So I was able to kind of finesse it to finish my degree while I was still playing uh, for my first year with the Steel. So I'm very lucky because otherwise, again, my parents emphasized finishing my degree because odds are if I went back or if I cut off that last spring semester, I'd still be playing right now, but I wouldn't have my degree or I would have it from like an SNHU or, or something like that, which might not be as reputable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was very kind of unique pathway. And how I like mindset going into a trial where it's like, this is, you know, I could fail and, you know, I need to take chances. Mm-hmm. We talk a little bit about trials. It's like, you really need to, um, expose your best self throughout. You can't be afraid to lose the ball. You can't be afraid to get on the ball. You can't be afraid to be vocal and show all aspects of your game. So do you remember how, how you, how you did in that and like how you showcased yourself? I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, so first and foremost, I tried to control my controllables, like being the as fit as you can. So you go in, you know, you don't know what the professional game is like because you haven't been around it as much. So I was like, I'm going to be as fit as I possibly can. So obviously I did all the strength training and, and stuff leading up to that. And so I went in and kind of the way the, the two teams worked back then, and I'm sure they do now is you have a lot of trialists in preseason. So you have maybe like seven, eight signed guys, which is what we had at the time. And then you have academy guys that are playing with you and then other guys that are just filling in preseason slots to get numbers for preseason games and whatnot. So I didn't know that heading into it. I just thought, oh, I'm going in, uh, you know, I'm going to just, you know, grind and grind and grind and try my best until I realized I was pl- I was 21 at the time. I was playing with a bunch of 17, 18 year old guys. So I was like, what, what am I nervous for? I mean, yeah, these kids are good, but at the same time, like, they're still young academy kids. Like they're not getting paid to do this. So there's no reason to be nervous. So like, I just, I mean, I just went in with the mindset that I'm, I'm going to go play confidently. Cause at the end of the day, if you know, you just want to say that you were able to, to do everything that you could have during the trial. And so if you go in and you're nervous, then you're not going to be able to play your best. You're going to be making mistakes that you normally wouldn't mentally and physically and things like that. So I think it is a tough mindset to adapt and to have, but I think mm-hmm. it's necessary. You have to kind of believe in yourself to go in there and be able to perform the best you can. Now, using that same theme on games and everything now, is it the same kind of mindset going into this and, and yeah. you know, being able to be in a space where you can showcase your best self in a game and help the team? Yeah, I think I'd say it's honestly a little, a little different now in terms of now that I, I mean, I, I don't know how many exactly I have, but I might have like one, 115 or 120 games so far in the USL. Nice, yeah. So now it's just telling myself that I've been here before and I've done and I've played against the best in the league guys that have been in the MLS and at higher levels and that I know I can do this. Whereas back then it was trying to prove to myself that I can, where I was like, I want to prove that I could play with these guys and that not getting drafted, that they were wrong not to draft me, uh, that I deserve to be at a better school and things like that. And I still believe that to this day, I, I try to adapt that mindset for, you know, new guys coming in. We're always trying, we have, you know, a competitive team, guys that you're competing with for playing time all the time. 
And so I think to adapt that mindset that you're always trying to get better and to kind of hold the grudge for yourself for not being at maybe a higher level that you think you should be at and always trying to strive for that. So I think it's a little different, but kind of the same. Yeah. And what were some of the changes you noticed going into the professional uh, environment compared to college? Uh, how not nice people were to put, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, at the time I had, I mean, obviously I was playing with young guys, but there was an older guy on the team that was 29 at the time. That's actually not one of my assistant coaches, James Chambers. And he taught me so much playing. So he was our kind of leader, Irish guy. So a very colorful language at the time, but just kind of taught me the ropes of, of how you need to survive in the game. And if you look at the guys that make it to the higher levels, they're not nice guys all the time, maybe off the field they are. But to get to a certain level, you kind of got to be a jerk on the field and act a certain way, especially in a certain positions to either showcase yourself or show you're not getting bullied. Because, I mean, if you show any weakness in the field, people are going to capitalize on that. So if you, you know, if you're not tough, especially as a defender or somebody and you're going against, I mean, this is a ridiculous example, but like a Mo Salah or something like that, he has any weakness, like you're done for. Yep. So. Yeah, love that. I mean, I I, uh, I saw on the went back and actually listened to the aristocrats podcast that you did with our boy jay keegan so shouts out to keegan hopefully those guys can make a comeback at some point they need to we're waiting for them we really are but you said that your pro start was um so you put i think you showcased a, a few times uh getting some late minutes but your first pro start was against cincinnati playing in front of like twenty five thousand fans so what was that like? Because, I mean, yeah, we talk about the jitters and everything like that. That's that's next level. Yeah, it was it was absolutely insane. Because um, my first – before that, my first appearances were like 10 minutes max. You know, some at left back, right back, center back, and so forth. And so it was the guy that was playing ahead of me coming down, Aaron Jones. He he got a red card the game prior. So, obviously, they, they let you get an opportunity. And it was interesting because I remember looking out as I was walking out, and, you know, your parents and the coaches tell you beforehand, like, forget about all the noise, just go play your game. You know, at the end of the day, it's just soccer, so do your thing. So I was thinking that, about that going out, but then it's impossible as you're looking around, there's 25,000 fans and you're like, kind of like, holy shit, like, this is like real. And it was, all, it was a great experience because I, I went and I ended up like balling out. I played really well. And so to then prove to myself that I had what it took and I could, I could hang at that level, especially in my first pro start, I mean, it, it just kind of motivated me even more to – to want to continue to, you know, get better. And how did you take that opportunity? I'm not going to lie. You were nervous as hell? Yeah. (laughs) But was (laughs) it, I mean, I find too that it's more before it starts. Once the game starts, then it kind of Yeah, I was going to say, I honestly forgot about it once you get going. Because noise is noise, whether it's 25,000 versus 10,000, which is what we get at our Colorado Springs games now. I mean, it's still Mm -hmm. very hard to hear and things like that, but it's not like while you're playing, you're looking at the stands and, and noticing everything around. You're kind of focused on the game. So that was when I realized that crowds really don't mean so much. They do and they don't. If you're at home, they obviously mean a lot. They're getting behind you. But at the same time, once you start playing, you forget about it. Hmm. And it's kind of like they're not even there. Yeah, you almost don't hear them. So um, how was that rest of the year after getting that start? And then how did that kind of segue into your next contract? No, I mean, and honestly, it still it still was kind of sucky the first year because the way the two teams work is they had a guy coming down that played my position. Um, so just by the virtue of the fact that he played the position and he was signed to an MLS contract, he was coming down and playing over me. Whether my was there a lot of people who would come down from from the MLS? A lot of, a lot of guys who weren't getting minutes and things like that. Yeah, a lot of guys. I mean, we had like Maurice Adu came down one time when I was oh, wow. playing. Okay, yeah. 
because he was rehabbing from injuries. So they actually did that a lot. And then they had a lot of mainstays as well, guys that they thought had potential for their first team, but mm-hmm. we either weren't ready there yet. It's usually like the college guys that were coming down. Um, so it was very interesting, kind of sucked, but proving to them in that game, my coaches that I could play. And then maybe I think I had four starts my first year. So proving in those other starts that I could do it, uh, I had an option for my second year. And so they obviously, they picked up the option and then I started 32 of the 34 games plus one playoff game the following year. So that's why I think like the mentality of kind of what we were talking about in terms of mentality, just the grind and Mm -hmm. showing up every day. I think even if you're not playing at the time, but you're impressing, it can still go, you know, go a long way. Did you view each training in each game like a potential trial because this was to get your next contract? Well, it was 100%. Yeah. I thought if I don't, if I don't continue to perform well, like this could be the end and I could be working a nine to five, you know, next year. So that's why, that's why I still try to remind myself all the time that as much as we're friends on the team and things like that, at the end of the day, it's a job and a business. And if I have to tell you to F off to get to where I need to be, then you have to do that because at the end of the day, you have to look after yourself. Yeah. Makes sense. How was the second year of that contract after picking up the option? Yeah. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, again, I was, I mean, we had, we had a good core group of guys that are still playing professionally now. And I'd say it was one of my more enjoyable years playing. We were a very close knit group. A lot of us were playing, we were playing well for a two team. We were one of the best ones in the league. Um, played, ex- played exciting soccer, you know, making good connections. I mean, I was overall enjoying it because I was playing a lot and I, I like my coaches, like my teammates and things like that. So much more enjoyable second year. Uh, I honestly have no complaints. Got got my feet wet in the East playing, you know, 32 games for my, my first time throughout a long year. So that taught me a lot as well. And I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And during the season, were you playing as a right back and center back? Mostly center back. Mostly okay. center back. Yeah, so and, in college, I, mean, I bounced around a lot. I played two of my years right back, two of my years right wing, actually. So one of the things I actually love about me here is that, is that I'm versatile. So I played left back, center back, right back. Um, but the way it was working was they brought another right back down from the union that year. So they slid me to center back where they needed somebody. And it ended up, I was actually, I'm actually probably a better center back than I am right back in my own opinion. So I was able to perform well and, you know, earn that spot and keep it for the remainder of the year. Mm-hmm. And how do you approach, um, you know, different game weeks with different positions? And then as we're center back too, you mentioned you were 5'11", which is not the tallest center back. How do you adapt your game to, um, yeah, play well, win headers over, over forwards or, there's plenty of Cambiasso, Mascherano were great center backs, yeah. undersized center backs. Yeah, that's why I think you kind of have to try to use your brain a little bit more in different assets and abilities. So I think for myself, for a center back, I'm good, I'm good on the ball. So in terms of passing and being able to maybe dribble out of other situations that maybe bigger, less athletic center backs might not be able to. So kind of utilizing the skill sets that, that I'm strong at and not trying to get in big duels where I'm not going to win against a 6-2, striker. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the versatility, playing different positions, now I'm used to it. Now I just kind of uh, adapt because I've done it for so long. But in the beginning, it was tough because it's a different mentality and you're asked to be able to do different things in different positions, even if it's outside back, where you might need to be able to attack more versus center back, where you need to be able to see and speak and, and be a leader a little bit differently. Um, so it was tough at first, but now I've kind of adapted and I'm used to it. Does it affect your off-season work at all, just kind of – you're not always yeah. playing the same position. So you kind of have to be a little bit more general in your training sometimes. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, so in the beginning years where I thought I was going to be a right back, I was working on a lot of crosses and things along those lines. And now these past years, I've been working more passing range and the center back stuff because I think it's more applicable to general play. 
Um, and it's where I also have – I've probably played more games at center back in my career than I have at outside back uh, when I was at SAC at well, as well. So I think the training for that, I think – I also asked my coaches what they position they ideally wanted me to play. And so then I trained off of that. But I think it was just more applicable to my to my skill set and where I thought I was going to play. And so I kind of tailored it towards that. But it wasn't, it's not easy. At the end of the day, I mean, now, yeah. now I'm playing right back this year. I played more than center back or equal. So now it's just, you know, it's, it's funny how it works. It's sometimes you train one thing thinking that you'll need it and then you never really need it. And that yeah, seems to be yeah. how it works. <laughs> but you say you think you're a better center back than right back? Why is that? Uh, I, I think – so growing up, that's where I played uh, as a young kid, but then I was short. So they moved me to outside back and I was short and fast enough where I was able to play outside back, but I was never a good attacking threat as a fullback. Like for me, I'm defend first, kind of like for my size, I, I think I'm like hard nose, like tackle, tackle hard, read the game well, um, things like that. And I'm not asked to attack, take guys on, like whip balls and things like that. And so I think uh, we, we call it here kind of forward defending. So being able to read the front foot, intercept passes, um, things along those lines. So I think I'm I'm just better at reading the game from a more central position and I'm able to be more vocal and have a better impact than I am at outside back. You mentioned SAC, so your time at Sacramento Republic, another USL club. So yeah. you, I guess you enjoyed a good second year with Bethlehem, um, but did the option come to stay? Did you not want to stay? And then ultimately, how did you land in Sacramento? Yeah, so my coach wanted me to stay at Bethlehem for a third year. And they offered me a contract. Uh, but the problem was, is we knew what direction they were heading in. Mm. So looking back now, I'm very thankful I didn't stay because it ended up being that it was all 16 year olds. So for, so for me, my second year, we still had a core group of college guys that had graduated the same year I had and that were able to play. But the year I left, it was maybe one or two guys that were above the age of like 21 that were playing. And other than that, it was teenagers. So speaking to my agent that, uh, that I still have and my coaches, we decided that it was probably a better move for me to go play with men. And at the time, SAC was one of the best teams in the, in the league. Like they, they were top of the West the year prior before I went there. And, we're, and you know, they play in front of 10, 15,000 fans every game. So for myself, I was, it was known as one of the better clubs in the USL. And mm -hmm. for an opportunity to go there, it was kind of a no-brainer just to get out of my comfort zone as well. I'd never been to California, never lived away from too far away from home and things like that. So it was kind of a move that I needed to grow up and mature as, you know, a player on and off the field. And, and how was your time there in terms of adapting? Like you said, you're now far away from home uh, on your own on a team that is probably the best in the USL. Um, very competitive. Yeah. Did you get was, much playing time there? It was tough at first. I, I didn't play until not even sub on until the 11th game, I don't think. Because I went wow. there, the, the coach at the time, he actually, and this is where it was it was interesting at the time, was the coach had never seen me play. So they come in and they're at, it was the GM that had seen me play uh, at the time. And so the coach never actually saw me play. So I'm coming in and you know how we talked about playing like it's kind of a trial every day. That's how mm -hmm. I felt it was, was that every day I was grinding, 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 working really hard, but it was making no strides towards getting in the starting 11 until finally we were hitting a rough patch and they were kind of forced to give me an opportunity to just see what I could do. And I played well. So I think I ended up playing 22 of the 34 games, not all starts um, and things like that. So I enjoyed some success towards the middle and end of the season, um, but very little in the beginning because it felt like I had to prove myself. So it was very tough. I mean, I was a little, I was homesick. Uh, I was in an area that I, I was not familiar with. Didn't have many, you know, regular friends. Obviously I had to make some of the team. Um, so it was just kind of a new environment and it made me realize what kind of people go through 
you know, in much tougher situations, changing different, changing countries and changing, you know, societies that they're living in and things like that. Um, so it made me grow up a lot. So 11 games, it kind of seems like you're knocking on the door, but no one's, they're not letting you in. What is your mindset each time? Were you like really getting frustrated or were you just putting your head down and like, okay, just keep going, keep going. A little bit of both. Uh, I, I tried, I, I tried not to show the frustration playing, uh, but obviously to a degree you want to. So the coaches know you care. You don't want to be showing them smiling every day. So they're like always content, not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't channel it in a negative way. I channeled it towards, I'm going to continue to work hard and grind and grind and grind until I get the opportunity. And then I did and showed myself and, you know, and that's how I felt it has been for, especially the first three, four years of my career is continuing to try to prove myself that I belong in this league, that I belong as a starter and, and things along those lines. And in SAC, it just took a little longer. We talked about coaches and preferences. Uh, like I said, he hadn't seen me play. So I had to prove to him um, and, and to my own belief, I don't think he was a great coach, but that's, you know, a different <laughs> subject and things like that. So it was what it was at the time. But again, it was another moment where I learned a lot and I was able to take mm-hmm. it forward for the, you know my current career I wasn't going to say anything but you started I think it's pretty unprofessional that uh, a coach never sees you play I mean you can get video so it's, to me it's kind of like that's there's no excuse for that that's that's weird no, to I, me. I agree that's why like, I don't want to throw names out there because there's no like anger or animosity towards course, this no. thing it is but just that's why I got there and they were asking me questions like where you play the assistant coach asked where you play and I thought I was like that's a weird question like you signed me <laughs> Like yeah, you know. signed me. What? This isn't a high school. This isn't a high school JV tryout. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, this is very odd. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. But during that time, I mean, with this frustration, did you find an importance of kind of having a balance away from soccer as well? Did you find that in this time? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I found out that hobbies off the field need to be something other than soccer. I mean, cause I had lived breathed soccer and breathe soccer for my entire life and still do. But now I enjoy like reading, doing other things, you know, that aren't involved with soccer because you really need to get away. I mean, we're in the middle of a season now and you know, we've had tough schedule and starting to get to that point where you start to like wear and tear. And so being able to separate yourself, especially mentally from the grind for a little bit is huge. And so that's just finding whatever you love to do and, and getting away, whether it's going for a hike or just, you know, going to a coffee shop, little things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, how is uh, you're now in Colorado, so it's three teams with different coaches at each of these. How has the training changed throughout your, your years in the USL? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Uh, it's honestly been pretty similar for me. I, I've been fortunate where I haven't been a part of a team where, I mean, we've made the playoffs every year, so we've had good teams. I haven't been a part of a team where, guys have hated each other and where the training environment has been poor. So every year I've, I've been a part of the, like a team, everyone showed up to training. Yeah. You have days where some guys don't show up like any, like any team, but for the most part, it's been good training environments. Um, just kind of interestingly enough, different ways that coaches go about like prepping for games, training sessions prior to games, how you do like periodization physically and leading up to games um, has been interesting to see because everyone has their own way of coaching and way they go about things. So that's been the biggest difference, not necessarily the play. Uh, obviously, the styles are a little different, but everyone shows up, shows up to train for the most part. But I would say just like tactically how coaches go about film, you know, what we do two, three days before the game has been, you know, different. How about your approach? Yeah, uh, my approach has been about the same. I think I'd like to say I, I've been pretty consistent with how I show up and what I do um, leading up to, to games and so forth. Little nuances, I think now I'm a little – more strict and better with things like my diet as I'm getting older. I mean, I've noticed now 
I told Dylan I was dry needling the other day for like my hamstring bothering me. Like if you were to ask me to do that two, three years ago, I'd be like, hell no, like I don't need that. <laughs> so now it's just like realizing that it's a yeah. longevity game at this point. Mm-hmm. And it, it's about taking care of your body. So little changes like that I've made. But in terms of being able to show up uh, mentality-wise, I don't think it's changed too much. Yeah, just to, to build off that in terms of structure, I think we all got whoop game, right? Right. Yeah, whoop game is strong. strong. So just, I mean, as an example, how do you use something like whoop to kind of find a better structure in your life and to be a better performer? Yeah, it's taught me so much about my body, actually. So I'll give an example about myself in terms of uh, eating prior to bed. So if I eat anywhere within like two hours before bed, my HRV is, is significantly lower as well as like my heart rates, oh, not significantly higher, but maybe three, four, five beats higher than mm-hmm. what it normally is. Whereas mm-hmm. if I eat three plus hours uh, before bed, then I, I realize I recover and get green recoveries almost every day. So it's things are noticeable like yeah. that, um, mm-hmm. that you learn. Also, you get to learn a little bit about like how many calories you're burning each day, like what a typical strain looks like for yourself you know, how you should feel, things like that. I love it. Like, I love loop. I live, I haven't taken this off in, like, I, I can't, yeah, I can't remember yeah. the last time I took this one off. Nasty tan line under here. <laughs> we've been, we've been begging for a, uh, for a sponsorship yeah. for years, but I mean, I think it's like a $50 billion company now. So it's tough. tough. <laughs> Not quite there yet. No, <laughs> <laughs> kind of tough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of aspiring pros who listen to this. It's a very difficult question because it's such a long game and there's different things thrown at you. But in general, do you have some major tips for guys who want to go pro and stay pro? Yeah, I think it's you always have to have the mindset of being the hardest worker in the room. And that should, and I think that should never go away because I think like watching, I mean, watching enough soccer now throughout my life and, and kind of being at the pro level and playing with guys that have been in the MLS and other levels is that there's not really that much of a difference between if you make it in the USL, there's only a little bit, you know, in terms of making to the MLS that you need. And so I think if you adopt the mindset as a young kid of, you know, always be the hardest work in the room, then I think that will get you farther than any talent will. I mean, I know there's plenty of sayings out there about, you know, talent and hard work, whereas, you know, working hard beats talent all the time. If talent doesn't work hard, I don't know the exact saying. I think, that's, I know it. Of, I think that's the exact saying. I know, I know plenty <laughs> of guys growing up that were much more talented than me mm-hmm. when we were younger but aren't playing mm-hmm. now because they either just lost a desire or d- didn't have it mentally. And I firmly believe that the mental side of the game is equally, if not more important than the physical side, because it's long seasons. I mean, you're obviously you're out of the country for a long period of time away from the family, which isn't easy. And, you know, we're across the country, different areas. So I think to be able to, we talked about, you know, getting away, have, you know, a little break from soccer as well as kind of a strong support system helps. And then mm-hmm. just, being able to to fight through the rigors of if you get an injury, if you're not playing, I mean, you have to realize it happens to everyone. And so this game not for somebody that's kind of mentally soft. And so if you adopt the hardest working attitude from being a kid, I think it'll take you pretty far. How do you view the soccer as a job, like over the years? Has it made you appreciate it more? Do you find it more stressful as the time goes on? No, it definitely made me appreciate it more. That's what we talk about. Longevity is the game. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're the same. You guys are the same in terms of wanting to play for as long as you possibly can and mm-hmm. delaying the inevitable of getting a quote-unquote real job, you know. Um, <laughs> but one thing I will say is it made me appreciate more education and using my brain. So for the first four, three, four years, I'd say three years, I didn't do anything, like, in terms of reading, like, using my brain. It was kind of like I was loving the soccer and just my, my downtime of having nothing to do. 
But then once I hit my fourth year, I'm like, I'm just completely wasting my time. Like in the afternoons, I'd, I'd be watching TV all the time and so forth. So I started reading books. I'm actually, I'm getting my MBA now uh, through the USL scholarship, which is nice. So I'm able to do that. So it really makes you put into perspective, like, yes, yeah, soccer is very important. It's everything for me right now, but there's also other things that you have to set yourself up for and, and be prepared for. What is that like, that, that program to get the MBA? Like what, what is, can you take yeah. that, take us through that? Oh, so it's a, it, Bellevue university does a, a sponsorship or a scholarship. I, I think it just started last year actually, mm-hmm. uh, where they give one full scholarship to somebody, um, where you get to go for free. And so since I obviously have my undergrad, uh, I'm very close with my coaches and they asked me if I wanted to do it to go get, you know, I was hoping they had some sport management or something in like exercise science realm, but they didn't because obviously it's just online. So I decided to go with the NBA route because it just made the most sense. And it was kind of like the most prestigious one that would help me in the future. So it's actually, it's tough in season. I'm not going to lie. I started it at the end of November in the off season. And it's tough because, you know, you train in the morning, you come home in the afternoon and you kind of just want to chill, but you're like, no, like I have to do discussion boards, write papers and do all this stuff. But I think it's a good, good thing as well. Like it creates good habits um, in terms of being able to use your brain and realize that sometimes, you know, you need to think outside of soccer. Yeah. Right. It's kind of that discipline. Yeah, and that discipline equals freedom. I think that's just the freedom to set you up later. I think yep. it's a great thing. And that's one player per team for every team. I think so. And oh, then you're nice. allowed certain amounts, like they have lesser scholarships that you can pay mm-hmm. up to a certain amount per year. Uh, but they give one full scholarship per team, I think, per year. Awesome. Now uh, walk us through game day. When are you waking up? What are you eating? How are you preparing so a, the, the few I'm a days big before? Of sticking to a similar schedule. So my home game game days, in terms of when I eat and things like that, look very similar to away game days. So I wake up. I mean, at home now, I usually wake up like around seven. So I'm up pretty early, but I won't eat until like nine thirty or ten. And then mostly on game days, I try not to do too much schoolwork because I don't want to be mentally exhausted by the end of the day. Um, and I do think we have a certain amount of willpower with power with that sort of stuff. So I don't want to be drained by the end of the day. So mm-hmm. I kind of just watch TV or I'll go for a walk in the morning, stretch one or two times. Uh, then I usually eat around 3.30, 3.45. The game starts at 7. Then after that, I'll shower, you know, take care, get dressed, whatever I'm doing. Leave at 5 usually. We got, or no, 5.30. We got to be there at, no, sorry. We got to be there at 5.30 for a 7 game. Um, and then in terms of like rituals before the games, I don't really have any, but I always like stretch. Um, that's really, that's really my big like pregame routine is I like to just stretch. Other than that, I don't do anything too crazily and then go out, play the game, come mm-hmm. home. So it's, I know some guys have are very strict schedules they're on and, and kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for that they do weird. Um, like superstitions. Uh, superstitious. superstitious. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Weird superstitions of what they do. So I don't have any crazy things like that, but I do like to stick to, I mean, I think we're creatures of habit. So I like to kind of stick to what I normally do. Don't eat anything different than what I normally would to upset my stomach. And then it's funny how you do that though. And some days you still feel different than other days, like, which is so interesting to me, but I try to keep a pretty similar schedule for every game. Now, what kind of things are you eating on game day? And then, cause we did an episode where we literally broke it down to when you would eat. So me, I like to, eat three to four hours before a game, something like that. So I can digest a little bigger meal. Maybe um, usually there's a sweet potato in there with some protein, something like that. Some healthy fats, maybe a little bit too. And then I like to have a piece of fruit 90 minutes before a game. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's just water or maybe electrolyte drinks and stuff like that. Do you follow uh, anything similarly so in terms of time? my diet actually on game days? I would, I would probably say it's not 
the you want not like quote unquote the healthiest on a weight trip it's a little better from what they provide but i have a very sensitive stomach so ever since i was a kid and especially in college um i've been very careful what i eat so i don't eat too much fruit too many fruits or vegetables like acidic stuff on game days because mm-hmm. it tends to set my stomach so like for if i'm home i'll have uh kind of like an oatmeal with like chia seeds ashwagandha and, and peanut butter and then like uh blueberries raspberries in the morning with eggs we mm-hmm. usually have three eggs, scrambled eggs and then i'll wait for a little bit and sometimes in the afternoon i'll either have just a bagel or two pieces of toast with the banana peanut butter and eggs again or on away trips like i'll have i'll have chicken before and things like that but prior to games i don't drink too many electrolytes because it normally like upsets my stomach if i have too much so i'll drink a lot of water and i'll be peeing clearly obviously before games but i'll save my electrolytes for the day before and you know after the game it's just how i am i know you gotta know like, yourself you yeah, gotta exactly. know yourself that's the thing is I don't want to risk it. Like I, I understand the health benefits of doing all that, but I'm just like, if I want to play this game, I don't want to be chugging electrolytes before because I could be out in the 15th minute running to the bathroom, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you imagine. Now, before, before we get to our little game at the end, uh, connections, uh, we preach about it all the time on this podcast, how important it is to um, get moves to other teams, uh, helping other players get to your team that you want to build on your roster when you become maybe in a higher position in the team. How have you built connections throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's how a lot of guys end up. Sometimes we talk about how did this guy end up at a certain level where you didn't think he was that good of a player. And you talk about connections like, oh, he knew this guy. So that's where I'm fortunate to be where I am now because of my connection that I made with these coaches my first year playing. And now, you know, I'm playing well on a very good team in the USL because of them. So I think connections are, are a huge part. And it could, and I'm hoping the same thing leads to my post-career. I mean, I don't necessarily know if I want to coach, but with my kinesiology degree, I've always known I've wanted to stay around athletes and maybe work in professional sports. And so having these connections and the longer you play in the league, the more people you know. So other coaches know me around the league, other players, um, just like we're able to do this podcast now, it's through connections. So I think being open-minded, whether it's helping a player get to your team that is young or that's somebody that you know um, that is just helping them out, connecting with your coach, or it's using that for yourself. I mean, I remember when I was an intern, because I got to know some of the Philadelphia Union guys at the time, I was reaching out to them on social media asking, you know, what their path was to the pros to see if there were any similarities or if there was anything I wasn't doing to, to get to that level. So mm-hmm. I think if any any connection, and I actually, I mean, I'm sure you guys are the same. I have guys that reach out to me on Instagram all the time, you know, asking if they have slots that are open on this team. And they, they don't necessarily understand how it works. So you can't just come to the team and walk on like it's, you know, an open trial somewhere. But yeah. at least I give them credit for trying, and I'll try to help them mm-hmm. in any way I can because that's how I got my chance. If I didn't have yeah. connections, I wouldn't be playing right now. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's funny because some guys don't know how it works, but it's you you shoot your shot, I guess. At the end of the day, we yeah. we we have a thing like uh, on our website where we'll give like free consultations to anyone who wants to know about like getting into Europe because we've yeah. been here for for so long now, especially in Germany. We know a lot about Germany, so yeah. we know visas we know teams we know contracts we know leagues you know so we encourage people to shoot their shot say again yeah, well, no i said it's just invaluable information that you get from experience yeah. that mm-hmm. you might not have had somebody that you know you could i don't know if you did but somebody that you could talk to that was playing in germany at the time that could teach you about that stuff whereas you probably learned a lot of it just through experience whereas now exactly. you can help other people and give them an extra leg up exactly, exactly. So one last thing before the fast feet round, we talk a lot about in this podcast about having a direction and not necessarily an end goal. 
So mm. for us, Sean and I, one of our directions has always been to be the best footballer we can be, the best soccer player we can be, the best all-around person we can be, and then the rest will kind of fall into place. These are the control and the controllables. So, I mean, I know you said you didn't really know exactly what you want to be after football, but even with the rest of your football career, can you share with us some of your directions and ambitions? Yeah, I think we, we honestly, we kind of share a similar mindset in, in that regard. Um, for me, it's things focusing on, as I'm getting older now, being a good leader for a lot of the younger guys. Because a lot of the younger guys, we bring in some of them that are 17, 18, they don't want to be playing in the USL forever. They want to get to the MLS and they want to get to the next level. And we, and we know that. And so it's just trying to kind of help them in like in the best way you can to try to be the best versions of themselves. And that actually, I think helps you in the end too, because you learn a lot from them that you maybe didn't think you could realize, even though they're young guys. And then you're obviously learning from older guys as well. So I think, I mean, it's a little cliche and corny, but it is all about the journey. And so if you stop or if you stop and think about it, like sometimes you think, wow, like look at where I am right now from all the hard work, even though you want to be at a higher level, you know, you always have to be thankful about where you are and how you got here and, and things like that. So I think people that focus on the end all the time, maybe are missing a lot of the parts in the middle. So as we get older, if you were to ask me to set the same question five years ago, I probably would have said something else because now I have different experience and perspectives from playing um, for my six years now. So I think it's just being able to have an open mind and kind of always trying to learn and just enjoy the process. Otherwise, you know, you'll blink and we'll be 35 years old and be done playing, you know? <sighs> We're definitely going to clip that one. That was a, yeah. that yeah. was a great <laughs> clip to end there right there. Perfect. Yeah. Fast feet, fast feet round. We're going to do ones that have, I mean, you can divulge as much as you want, but usually the answers come a little bit quicker. So favorite player growing up and favorite player now. So favorite player growing up. Uh, this, this was a tough one. I saw in the email you sent me. It was a combination of Donny Alves and Nemanja Vidic. So growing up like Donny Alves, obviously was playing right back out. And I was thinking this guy is just, one of the best right back I'd ever seen with his feet, but he was also playing on the best team in the world. But Nemanja Vidic had that like craziness, that anger to him as a center back. Um, so right now I look at like Van Dyke and Ruben Diaz as I play mostly center back. I look at those two guys and be like, they impact their team significantly and I made them better. So I try to emulate and kind of be like that. What about your favorite moment in football? Uh, besides signing my, my pro contract, my first contract was my first playoff win back in 2018. You know, like I said, it was one of my favorite years. We were down in Pittsburgh playing a game and we ended up taking it to penalty kicks. I took the sixth kick, you know, I made it. And then we ended up winning on PKs. And I just remember the bus ride back five hours and we were all drinking. It was a great time. And I'll never forget that moment. Amazing. Most difficult moment. Most difficult moment. I would go back to being cut from Red Bulls back when I was 16. I know it seems like a long time ago, but it was my first big, you know, kind of tribulation and negative thing that happened to me in soccer first time getting cut. And so I think it really shaped and changed who I was and how I looked at soccer. Such an impressionable age too. So it's like, it's, it's mm -hmm. so good that it affected you in that way. That just made you push yeah. even more. Yeah. I agree. The best advice you ever received. Best advice I ever received is, well, we talked about being the hardest worker in the room. So I'll change it a little bit is like, you have to have a short memory. So one of the guys I played with, I think this is one of the next one of your next questions was best player uh, played with. In my opinion, his name is Deco Keenan. Um, he played for the Israeli national team, played for Maccabi Haifa most of his career and actually played in the Prem for maybe one or two years, um, but was older when I started playing with him at SAC. And he taught me so many things about mentality uh, in terms of, you know, forgetting the mis forgetting mistakes you have. And as a defender, you're going to get scored on. So it's kind of having a short memory and moving on to the next play. Mm-hmm. 
be a goldfish was that was from i don't know if you guys ever saw ted lasso but yeah it was like one of the things to be a goldfish <laughs> Great show. um favorite place you've lived sorry say that again you cut out for a second favorite place you've lived so far oh i would go sack for sure Sacramento. Yeah. I mean, it was northern california so there were no beaches but i mean it was 90 degrees and sunny every day like you couldn't beat it and you had access to san francisco which was a couple hours away and i mean mm-hmm. it's hard hard to beat california i mean philly philly i loved but uh it was a little more dangerous a little dirtier and things like that so i have a very personal connection with philly and i love it yeah. from my four years at school and then playing two years there but mm. I, I really enjoyed sack mm. favorite place to travel uh to play or just in general just in general in general so i haven't traveled many places but i have on my bucket list to go to england during like uh during the December uh, Boxing Day windows and things like oh, that, yeah. a bunch of games. I think that would be the best time to go. And I've never seen a Prem game live, so I'm definitely gonna. I've got that on my bucket list. Do you have a favorite away stadium that you played at? Ooh, I mean, besides Cincinnati, uh, I mean, I, I think SAC was one of the best ones I played in. But Phoenix is always a good environment. You go there, they always have a good amount of fans. Uh, playing in Tampa was good, so there are a bunch of ones in the USL. But I think my best one was. We played Open Cup in 2019 at San Jose Stadium. And I remember that was my first time playing against an MLS team and in an atmosphere. I mean, it wasn't a great atmosphere. It was an Open Cup game on like a Wednesday night. But I mean, just playing in the stadium with the great grass against like good players, you know, was unforgettable. Best player you ever played against? So I wish I could say Raul because I played for Jersey Express for PDL and we ended up playing the Cosmos when he was playing Mm -hmm. for them uh, in the Open Cup like third round. But he obviously was on the bench, so I can't say him. But I'd say somebody that has, like, the best, rep- like, reputation. And I played against Chris Wanolowski in that game in San Jose, obviously leading MLS goal scorer. He was obviously past his prime. But I played with guys that have been on the, you know, the U.S. World Cup team. Last year I played with Jose Torres, who played in the World Cup 2010. A guy that played for, um, I think it was Denmark and Thomas Enderbolson. So I played with a lot of good players, fortunately. If you weren't a footballer, what would you be? Yeah, this is, this is a tough one. Uh I think I'd be working somewhere in sports performance with athletes. I don't know if it would necessarily be with the pro team, but mm-hmm. I would, it would be with high-level high, high level athletes that, you know, want to work hard and, and get better, either just with soccer or just in the gym or a combination of both. Favorite book? See, I, I've, I referenced it earlier. Uh, I read the book Culture Code. I can't remember the, the author at this moment, but we talked about uh, being culture of the team and how important like, leadership is, and that's what that book talks about. And it taught me a lot about how to kind of speak to people and how important culture within a team is. And then another one is the power of habit. I can't remember the author of that one either, but that one kind of just, it it taught you how to get out of bad uh, loops that you're in, how to develop good habits, um, things like that. Just making a note here because we have another list with all the books that we, the, we, and the guests recommend. And it's such a Uh, great list to see like, it's such a great list to see all the things. And then we go in and I'm, have a few that I've just ordered too. So that yeah, was culture awesome. code and power of habit. We'll find the authors. That won't be too hard. Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, any quote that you live by? No, I, I just like be the hardest work in the room. I mean, mm. that, that's what I like to live by. I've never been a huge like uh, philosophical quote type of person, but I've always felt like if you're the hardest work in the room, then at least you can go at the end of the day and say, I've done everything for this game. Even if you're not the best player, just always try to be the best you can, you know? I feel like that's going to be the, the title for this episode. 
I feel like yeah. it's it's just been a, be. a constant theme, and I really like that. Just be the it's a good mantra, even if it's not just a quote. You know, it's like yeah. it's something it's something that embodies you. Be the hardest worker in the room, and, yeah, and it's so applicable even to outside of soccer. You know, exactly. whether it's something mm-hmm. you're a hobby or you know something you're planning for the future, it can apply to so many different things. Absolutely, Matt. We want to thank you so much for coming on, joining the club here, Footwork. Um, we can't wait to see how this rest of the season goes. Sixteen games left with uh, Colorado switchbacks. We're hoping for a nice playoff run and hopefully the first silverware, right? That's the goal. Appreciate it, guys. So happy to be back with guests, man. It's just, it brings another element to footwork and I just, I love to hear the perspectives. Matt, what a nice guy. So honest in his approach with everything. Um, And I mean, that mantra to be the hardest working person in the room. That'll get you to where you need to go. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, he's, he's very honest in his approach. You know, he's, he shared some of the difficulties he ha- he's had, the doubts, you know, the pregame jitters and everything like that. But just kind of going back to what has led to his success, I feel like is ultimately always getting him these contracts, making him, you know, a mainstay in the league. And, you know, hopefully, who knows? Who knows what's yet to come? 26, uh, he said 26, right? Yeah. You know, looking after his body, playing the longevity game, and has that love for soccer. Yeah. So I think sky's the limit. And I mean, it was it was super nice to 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 hear his perspective on it all. Yeah, exactly. Improves in the footing. I mean, he said he had 115, 120 games in the USL. Mm-hmm. I mean, to play that many games, you don't. That's just that's not a mistake. You don't get lucky to do that. And there's um, a lot of turnover. You know, there's a lot of turnover yeah. in teams and leagues. And to be a guy who's made his name in this league that is going through changes, you know, and still he's there, you know, regardless of how the U S system feels like the MLS is, is looking outwards a lot more. And you would maybe see that in the U S I'm not positive. It's just a theory, but to be a guy who stayed around, made his name, you know, didn't start at at first at Bethlehem didn't start at first at Sacramento, but you know, even through the frustration, kept his head down, made his way, found his footing and, you know, ultimately left his place, left his name, his mark. Yeah. Another great conversation. Another good guest. Good to have a guest like back on, like you said. Yeah. And with that, uh, everyone out there, keep continuing the free support and help. Yeah, out. please. All you Plugging, young players passing. or aspiring players continue with these consultations. I think we're going to have a number of players heading over here. We just we're had an email right European before this. Countries, um, and we're giving as much help as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially the with the, the especially with the transfer window episode that we did. This is still the transfer windows open. Um, so yeah, I mean, just like Matt said, you know, shoot your shot when you're connecting with people. Um, sometimes you may aim a little bit high and try and get a, a roster spot on a USL team, but um, <laughs> you can get a free 15 minute consultation with us. We just ask for your email and subscribe to our our newsletter. So. If you haven't, whether you want the consultation or not, subscribe to that newsletter, join the club. Uh, you know, you get the articles beforehand. You're going to get some merch beforehand. You're going to get news. You're going to get updates beforehand. Um, some exclusive things too. So make sure you sign up for that. It helps us too. And yeah, be on the lookout for more. We're back with guests. We're back with uh, Footwork 2022. Um, Sean and I have been in some training camps, getting the visas settled, all of that good stuff that comes around this time of year. Super, super happy time of year. Um, 
and yeah, all the support means the means the world, guys and girls. So keep it coming, and hopefully we can continue to help, to continue to inspire, and to educate the next generation of footballers and dream chasers alike. So yeah, with that, I think that's a it's a good place. Yeah. So until next time, keep moving forward, keep learning, and make your own path. Footwork is sponsored by ourselves and great companies such as Kong Fitness. But we love to partner with new brands to make their own paths, so get in touch if you must. Footwork.club, the official footwork website is now live, so make sure you go join the club and check out all the new content and all the new features. Find us on YouTube at Footwork Podcast. You better like and subscribe while you're there. If not, I don't know what to tell you. Find us on Instagram at Footwork underscore podcast. Great time there. Twitter at Footwork Podcast. TikTok at Footwork Podcast, where we like to post dance videos those are great but more importantly amazing content for any dream chasers out there plug plug pass tell your friends your enemies your mother your brother your sister your pastor it doesn't matter who tell the mailman your dog anybody that can listen like subscribe review because all of that helps while you're there we'll take whatever we can get to join the club join the club he messed me up i mean he can just he can just mash it together so it's fine (laughs) 